This is JFF's Apprenticeship by the State with Joseph Hollins, the former State Apprenticeship Director of Louisiana. We will talk to State Apprenticeship Directors from around the country to help you learn how to work with their agencies to start a registered apprenticeship program in your community. Today we go to Pennsylvania with the State Apprenticeship Director, Eric Ramsey. Eric, how are you today? I'm doing well, and yourself? I'm doing well today. Uh, it's a pleasure speaking with you. I know that you have many years of experience with apprenticeship. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what agency is the Office of Apprenticeship a part of in Pennsylvania? The Pennsylvania Apprenticeship and Training Office is under labor and industry in the workforce development state. We're there and connected with our one-stop program and also our grants and oversight. You know, across the country, apprenticeship divisions vary in size and scope. Most all divisions have an apprenticeship director because it's mandated by statute, obviously. And most all all the divisions have ATRs or apprenticeship training representatives. Uh, Can you tell us about how big is the staff in Pennsylvania and what are some of the different roles that you all might have outside of a director or ATR? Maybe you call your ATR something other than an ATR. For us, we have a director, we have a supervisor, a field supervisor, um, and we have three ATRs. The ATRs cover different regions of the state, the western region, central region, and eastern region. Most recently, we've because the landscape of apprenticeship has changed and there's a lot more money in apprenticeship too that the federal government is putting out for program sponsors. There's also a state investment in Pennsylvania. So we've hired and lobbied to get a grant and data development person on staff. So that person will be coming on board soon. There are a couple other positions that we have been yet to fill, but that's someone, uh, an administrative person to handle a lot of the internal administrative and policies and procedures different guidance and also a clerical person. Okay, that sounds good. So I know, for example, like when I was in Louisiana, uh, our ATRs would kind of do it all. So they would have to do compliance and they would have to uh, help create programs and do standards. And so that uh, position that you're currently looking to hire for that would really focus on program development and program creation and, and kind of free ATRs up to focus solely on compliance? How this would work is our grants and development person is really the person that's going to be monitoring our, our grants from the programmatic side. We have a, in our deputate, we have a, an office that handles the fiscal side of the grant, but really if you're going to do grants correctly and manage those grant investments properly, you need uh, someone on the, on the program side it really monitors what the people are doing with their money to making sure that they're going through with what the desired out goals and outcomes are of the grant. What are some of the recent highlights of registered apprenticeship in your state uh, in terms of growth, or maybe it's just one program that you want to single out that you say that we, we're doing this here and, and it's kind of on the cutting edge in the country? I would say the most notable thing that we're doing here in Pennsylvania that, that's somewhat setting us part is um, our ambassador network, our apprenticeship ambassador network that we've developed. 
the idea was, you know, we want to grow apprenticeship. Our, our governor set out a mandate by 2025 to double the number of apprentices in the state. Well, if you only have potentially eight people in your state staff to cover the, the geography of Pennsylvania and to tend to all of the 800 plus programs and over 18,000 apprentices, you're going to have to expand the people who know more about apprenticeship and who can help develop programs. So this intermediary or ambassador network um, was developed to teach people what we're doing. We work with one of our partners here, one of our intermediary partners to develop um, a curriculum, um, the RTI and the OJT for what is becoming an ambassador or navigator uh, apprenticeship program. It's been approved by our, our, our council, our apprenticeship and training council. Um, but what we're doing is we're getting individuals from workforce development boards. We focused it in the southeast corner. That's the Philadelphia region of Pennsylvania. And uh, our first uh, cohort of apprentices, is, I think it's around 20 individuals. Um, the plan is to take this and, 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 and uh, move it to each region of the state. So we're doing the southeast. The plan is to move it out west to the western part of the state near Pittsburgh and then central Pennsylvania. So if we could do, and this is a 2,000-hour, one-year program, if we can do in, in three years at least 20 people um, per cohort, we added 60 people to the state of Pennsylvania who can help develop programs, help prep the standards, get them to the office so we can get them ready for registration, um, and really help program manage uh, some of the the stuff that goes on out in the field that, you know, w uh, from a state level, we see some of the things that are going on, but if there's someone there locally at the workforce development board level um, who is being supported by the workforce development board, who knows how to do apprenticeship programs, um, we feel as though it's going to be a, a very good result to come out. There's going to be more coverage. We can then serve as a role as, as editor or getting the information in as it comes from these, uh, these navigators. Um, and really start to kind of uh, adapt our role to being more of, um, you know, having that final oversight over the programs as they come into us, more um, technical assistance um, to the existing programs. But we really think that this is uh, innovative and cutting edge. And, and, and as a matter of fact, we were recognized um, by NASWA um, for, for this program as, as a very innovative approach to workforce development and apprenticeship. Until you get your ambassadors in place, though, what would be the first step for an employer wants to create a program in Pennsylvania? What would be their first step to become a sponsor in Pennsylvania? The first step is to reach out to us, um, either one of our intermediaries, our ATRs, or myself, and we'll point them in the right direction. If someone is interested there are other people that can help them in other areas, but we believe we are the experts on, on apprenticeship and how to get it going. We, uh, we consider ourselves, um, to be the, at the, one of the things that we do is, is we put a, on the top of our list is technical assistance to programs. We say that as soon as you're interested in programs, we're going to be uh, developing an apprenticeship program. We're going to be there with you every step of the way to guide you through into registration and, and afterwards, too. So once you have a program, um, we're going to be right there with you. But that first step is to reach out to us. We do an assessment of what the need is, like a, a needs assessment. What type of program? Is it a union program? Is it a non-union program? 
Um, is it something that you want to have multiple uh, employers involved in, in your in your model that you're talking about? What occupations are you referring to? Um, as you know, and, and, and others may know, with apprenticeship, there are templates um, and of, or work processes that are available that we can provide to help kind of guide you in the right direction as a, as a program sponsor as to what type of competencies are needed for the on-the-job training. We also have a, a network of training providers that we've already worked with, or we can facilitate meetings. So we would say, contact us. Um, we need to do a, an assessment of what the real need is, and then we can start the process. As you brought up, there's union programs, there's non-union programs, there's kind of community colleges as intermediaries, there's training providers uh, that sometimes can be sponsors. But what I'm hearing you say is that uh, anyone who's interested in starting a program, they kind of all have the same starting point, and that is uh, reaching out to your office. And so when once they reach out to your office, your office... I heard you mention the work process templates. Does your, your office helps them develop their standards once they reach out to your office? Yeah. So what we'll do is we we, we, we do the assessment. Um, we follow up with an email. And the email will have um, some of the – it'll have the, a template of the standards. Um, it will have uh, work processes. Um, if there are multiple employers involved, it'll have an employer – um, acceptance agreement, which uh, ties the employers to the standards. Um, so all of their apprentices at each employer will go through that same training program. Um, there's we, we ask for, if you're using an outside training provider, to get a, a letter of acknowledgement from any of your, your training providers that are involved in your program as well. So we package all that, that up into an email and then we say, you know what, take some time to digest it. If you've never really been involved in apprenticeship, some of the of the verbiage is a little different than you're used to. So take some time um, to, to, to digest um, the material. Uh, and then we say, let's set up another call. Let's set up a follow-up call to kind of answer your questions and go through the process a little, you know, again, so uh, it can make sense to you. Um, and that's that's kind of how we how we've been doing it here. That sounds uh, very employer friendly. So I would ask you, what's the average timeline that if an employer really comes and they say that I researched apprenticeship and I want to start a program and they're responsive and your office is responsive, what's the average timeline that it takes for a program to get uh, registered? And the it's a couple of follow up questions to that as well. One have you done anything as the director to streamline this process and, and kind of make it more employer friendly? But also, uh, is your apprenticeship council, every SAA state has an apprenticeship council. Is your apprenticeship council, do they advise or do they regulate? Our council is regulatory. So it's part of that process. So they approve the programs. Part of my job as the director is I'm also the secretary of the council. So I prepare the, the agenda um, for the council. So all the programs that are going to be approved, um, they come through our office and then we present them to the council. All of the agenda items, new new business, old business, um, any procedures um, or processes that the council would like to see enacted, um, we we facilitate those things. There's a, there's a report that we have to issue from the, the council to the Secretary of Labor and Industry. That, uh, that we help develop in, uh, on behalf of the council as well. 
we do that part. In this process, there's a lot of moving parts. So we have to do our part as, as the agency, but the employer or the sponsor has to do their part in gathering certain information. Uh, I would say um, a reasonable timeline if, if everything is moving, um, you know, in a, in a fairly expeditious or quick motion, that it go, I would say about two months that it takes to, as we have a first conversation, develop it enough, and then get it to me for council approval. I would say it's about a two-month process. Two months is it's really fast. Uh, y'all, y'all have it streamlined and perfected. I'm sure employees appreciate that because that's one of the largest knocks on registered apprenticeship, right? It's too much red tape. It takes too long and all those things. Yeah, and I would say one thing that we do, and I think this is a, was another one of your questions, another thing that we do is we, you know, as, as we go along, and, and the office has been around for over four years now, We'll go back through, we'll look at our standards and say, okay, how can we streamline this part of it? You know, we, we take the standards and kind of break them down, keeping all of the pertinent information, all the regulatory information in there, but how can we make them more employer friendly? Um, this, you know, apprenticeship, registered apprenticeship, all apprentices are, are employees. So everyone has to be employed. The employer plays a very crucial part. So we want to make it as employer friendly and, and, and usable for the employer. So we try to get all the feedback we can from employers and try to make the process as employer friendly as possible. So we're constantly going through that audit process of streamlining our documents and our standards to, uh, to really make it easy. And I think that that is really key. If registered apprenticeship is going to continue to grow and evolve and, and move into uh, the next era of apprenticeship is that registered apprenticeship continues to be employer friendly. And so what is something that you have noticed that kind of trips employers up in the registration process? I would say the the paperwork in general, and I would say the lingo, it's, it's some, it may be something that employers aren't familiar with. So there has there's, there's somewhat of a language barrier. So kind of, they, they may be doing something that they don't know they're doing in terms of their apprenticeship lingo. But breaking down that language barrier, so we're all kind of speaking the same language, I would say, is, is one of the things that, that, that trip up um, employers. I would say another thing, um, generally, we don't do a lot of outreach out to employers. We're strictly a need um, base. So if you have to you know, display the need that you want to have an apprenticeship program, generally, you're reaching out to us. We really don't reach out um, because we have so much business and we're, we're such a small um, office. Um, all, all of the, the, the programs that we work on are, are strictly from them coming to us. I would say that an issue is if you're coming to us, realize that this, that apprenticeship has to be your culture and training has to be part of your culture. And that, you know, um, if you're worried about, um, the, the bottom dollar, there is going to be an investment that's involved in this. So it is going to take some, some, some financial, um, um, investment into this, but as you and I know, there is a, a good, a, a great return on investment um, for for every dollar you put in. I think the figure used to be a dollar forty seven. It may be more than that now that you get back. Um, you know, for every dollar you invest in, in, in an apprentice's training, you get a dollar forty seven back in productivity. So um, it plays out, um, but just you know, realizing that there 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 is going to be a gear up time in this. Um, you know, some employers or some sponsors are looking for a solution now. 
Um, apprenticeship does take a little bit of time to gear up to get the training going so you start to see that return on investment. So that I would say just kind of bring awareness to what the actual program is, what it can do, um, and the language barrier of the different terminology that we may use in apprenticeship are, are some of the things that we have to kind of overcome to get to where we finally get to um, once we develop a program. I definitely think that those are some of the things that I experienced as well in my time as a director. Uh, you know, you definitely have people looking at affirmative action plans and EEO plans and all these different things. And you kind of got to take the time to really make it uh, simple for them. So I, I definitely think that uh, you hit the nail on the head there in terms of kind of what trips employers up. But there's been a conversation, Eric, a lot lately around pre-apprenticeship, youth apprenticeship, just, you know, getting high schoolers and young people more engaged in apprenticeship, you know, letting the younger generation know that you can make a great living and a great livable wage uh, without having to go to college. And so while there's been that conversation in Pennsylvania, do you all call it youth apprenticeship or do you all call it pre-apprenticeship or do you have youth apprenticeship and pre-apprenticeship and they're two different things? What we have is registered pre-apprenticeship um, and, and pre-apprenticeship, how I define it is preparing you for the job that you don't have. Um, so uh, you can be a youth apprentice and be involved in apprenticeship program. You can be a youth and be in a registered apprenticeship program. So um, I think that's how we may be a little different um, than other states is that we don't particularly have a youth apprenticeship pro, uh, program or process that's separate from our pre-apprenticeship or, or registered apprenticeship program. If you're between the ages of 16 and 24 in school youth or out of school youth, um, you know, you are a youth involved in apprenticeship. And I, I think that's that's kind of how we describe youth apprenticeship and pre-apprenticeship. To that end, have you all worked with any high schools or do you know any of your programs that work with particular high schools or school districts to really foster strong high school pre-apprenticeship participation? Sure. I mean, we uh, I want to say our number is around 40 registered pre-apprenticeship programs, and I may be off because the, those numbers keep coming in um, and changing, and there's probably some on my desk for it that need to be approved. Um, but uh, some of them are in high school. Some of them are in the CTC setting. Some of them are a coalition of, of high schools and CTCs that have kind of come together um, and are working under the same pre-apprenticeship standards. Um, our pre-apprenticeship um, when we developed it, we wanted it to be useful to the actual sponsor. So part of our pre-apprenticeship program, our registered pre-apprenticeship program, um, we, we said there's three requirements. Um, the first requirement is that you have to be attached to a registered apprenticeship program. We, we definitely set this up to be a feeder program into registered apprenticeship. Um, and without that, you, you don't have a pre-apprenticeship program if you don't have a registered uh, an apprenticeship program. Um, the second thing was that the curriculum that you learn in the pre-apprenticeship program has to articulate or you have to get credit for all the work that you've done in your pre-apprenticeship program. Um, we feel as though if you're going to go through this program, it's connected to a sponsor. The dialogue that's between the, the registered apprenticeship sponsor and the pre-apprenticeship program 
you have to work out how we can get credit for these people to give them somewhat advanced standing to go into registered that registered apprenticeship program. Um, and thirdly, um, there has to be an employer engagement strategy built into this. So we know that all pre-apprentices aren't necessarily going to be hired full-time at the end of this, um, but there has to be some type of employer engagement strategy built into it. Um, are you conducting mock interviews? Are you doing interviews? Are you making sure that everyone gets an interview? Does everyone have advanced standing? Is there an employer engagement session that all of the employers that are involved um, with the apprenticeship program and the apprenticeship program meet with the pre-apprentices and potentially their parents and how, you know, a strategy on how to break down um, the barriers of, you know, what they know about certain industries, if it's in manufacturing, get some of the parents involved so they can kind of go inside and say, you know what, this is a very good alternative. This is a great place to work. I could see my son or daughter working in one of these these establishments. Set up uh, conversations with the pre-apprenticeship uh, instructors and uh, the employers that are involved from the registered apprenticeship aspect. Um, somewhat of an elongated uh, interview process. How do they treat you? How do they treat their, their fellow students or, or pre-apprentices? Are they punctual? You're getting a lot of feedback from these folks. So there has to be some uh, a bit of employer strategy, uh, you know, employer engagement strategy that's built into your pre-apprenticeship program. And all of our standards have the, all of those things built into the core of what, what, are, what these programs are about. That's kind of where we stand on, on pre-apprenticeship. For the longest, registered apprenticeship has kind of been viewed as this uh, Department of Labor system, this system that's outside of education. And so, uh, lately, whether it be through youth apprenticeship or pre-apprenticeship in uh, CTE classes that you mentioned, or whether it be through the community college being a training instructor or the four-year college being the the RTI provider, there's been some alignment in between registered apprenticeship and your Department of Education uh, programs. And so you mentioned the CTE programs at the high school level for pre-apprenticeship. So are you taking your registered apprenticeship curriculum and bringing it to the high schools or are your registered apprenticeship programs accepting pre-existing CTE curriculum uh, and giving credit to those pre-apprentices? I would say both. I mean, you know, one thing that registered apprenticeship does is it facilitates that conversation between education and uh, employers. So it has to work for both for, the, for it to really um, work in a harmonious way. We have examples where um, we talk about non-traditional. We have a chamber of commerce in, uh, in Hanover, Pennsylvania, that is the, the program sponsor working with three employer uh, manufacturing employers. Um, they're working with two high schools that are their feeder programs. Um, that are, you know, working the, the, somewhat from the pre-apprenticeship aspect, and they have been working um, harmoniously together to develop the curriculum that was in the registered apprenticeship program. Um, they've then developed the pre-apprenticeship program off of that curriculum. So a lot of the, the stuff that they're getting at the high school um, is directly from the registered apprenticeship program. Some of the, the, the students that are involved in the pre-apprenticeship program work in, in the uh, or, or do some job shadowing 
in some of the, the manufacturing facilities, but the curriculum that they're learning um, is is based off of the registered apprenticeship program. We also have other uh, apprenticeship programs that are connected with CTE, um, and they are taking their students um, and, and taking that curriculum that, that is used at the CTE and using that as part of their RTI for the registered apprenticeship program. So a lot of their students are going into the registered apprenticeship programs with a lot of their RTI um, already completed. Um, so there's different models. It varies. Um, you know, the flexibility, I think, that we offer in Pennsylvania that say, hey, like, tell us what you have and we'll try and help build a program about around what you, you already, what's already existing. And uh, that appeals to a lot of um, these people who are maybe getting to apprenticeship for the first time. They have some things. They know they have some good things going on in their region or, or local area, um, but they haven't quite put it all together. We help facilitate those things, and we want to take the best of what they do and put it together to, to, to really help form a, a really good apprenticeship program. I think that that is uh, perfect, Eric. It sounds like, you know, there's really work around kind of merging and aligning uh, what you all have going on in the registered apprenticeship system and also what the Department of Education has going on in the K-12 system and the post-secondary system. And, and I, I just think it's so important for the future apprenticeship that this happens. And so you mentioned a little bit earlier, Eric, that in order for a pre-apprenticeship program to be registered in Pennsylvania, that they have to have a connection to a registered apprenticeship program. And so I know that, you know, you have some registered apprenticeship programs. Let's take a building trades program, for example, that they kind of build pre-apprenticeship into their standards. So they may go out and start a pre-apprenticeship program. So you have a program sponsor starting a pre-apprenticeship program. So that connection is already there. But tell me if you had, you know, a CTE program at a high school who just said, we want to register as a pre-apprenticeship program. Does your office help them build that connection with a registered apprenticeship program sponsor, or did they kind of have to go out and build that connection on their own? Tell me how that process works if you have someone who's seeking to register as a pre-apprenticeship sponsor and they don't have those connections. Right. Part of what we do is, and our ATRs do this, when I was hitting the pavement and running all around the state, I would do it as well. we We've developed a network, especially in the, in the, the local regions of existing apprenticeship programs for, you know, there may, so we're not duplicating efforts. Um, we, we keep track of all of everybody who's interested in programs and we can facilitate those conversations uh, if there's an interest in, because it really, we, we say it's about partnerships and developing what we call an apprenticeship ecosystem in a, in a local region. So we, keep track of all the partners, everyone who's interested in an area, whether it's a training provider, whether it's a chamber of commerce who can act as a convener of employers, training providers, high school CTCs, um, different workforce development um, professionals in a region. And we try to facilitate a conversation. We try to get a sit down with all those, those partners and say, hey, let's sit down and talk and put our heads together uh, about what we can do um, to develop not only uh, an apprenticeship program, but any other workforce development initiative that, that may be going on that we can we can really get together um, and help each other on. 
And that really uh, starts sparking some, some very interesting conversations and really builds um, some really nice, robust models of, of apprenticeship. We talked a little bit earlier about WIOA and the work that you have done in terms of creating an apprenticeship program for ambassadors at the local office. And when you talk about WIOA, it's, it's really hard to use WIOA funds on a in-school pre-apprentice, you know, with the only 25% of WIOA youth money being able to be used on in-school uh, youth. Uh, so if, if you've had any luck, have you had any luck, uh, getting in-school youth, uh, qualified for WIOA and then into a pre-apprenticeship or a registered apprenticeship? We've had some use of using, using WIOA dollars. In-school youth, I, I can't really speak to that. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure we've had a lot of, um, success with, with the in-school youth. Um, but out of school youth, we have a pre-apprenticeship program, um, that is, is in IT for help desk. And they have used, um, some of their, their wheel of funds to help support pre-apprentices going through the program. So I would say that's, that's really the one that I, that I know of offhand. We do look to expand into that area of, you know, developing it. I think a lot of it will help once we get our navigators or our apprenticeship ambassadors online in the, in the different areas, helping them navigate the process um, of working with their systems uh, of record to try and, you know, work with the funding to, to, to make it work and have enough knowledge of apprenticeship and of the, the workforce development system to make the connection. I think right now, one of our obstacles um, as a, as a, as an agency um, and in particular as an apprenticeship office is how do we really, I mean, we're in the workforce development area and in, in, under labor and industry, but we're, we're not as connected as we, we would like to be. Um, we have a decent connection. We have a good connection with all of the different workforce development boards, but to really be, um, you know, involved and, and, and have all these things worked out where we're getting all of our apprenticeship programs on the eligible training provider list, just not a portion. Um, where we're getting assessments of, of individuals coming in that may um, qualify um, as a WIOA eligible person and getting them connected to apprenticeship opportunities. Um, I don't think we're where we want to be at, but we're definitely fighting to, to, to get there. And that's definitely an ongoing process. Most definitely. Uh, as you mentioned some of those things, I just kind of had flashbacks to my days as director in Louisiana. It's a lot of the same struggles that I had, but you know, engaging the out of school youth or the opportunity youth, rather engaging the opportunity youth population is, is a great opportunity to expand diversity in your registered apprenticeship program. And so I know you mentioned the IT program that you all already have currently running, but is there in, in, in your dream world, is there a way in which you wish you could better recruit out of school youth or engage out of school youth that you're not currently doing? I think the best way to attract out of school youth, and, and there's a, a, you know, groups that have already, you know, gone in and graduated, but we'd really like to get them before they, they leave the school. Um, as they're graduating, if they don't have plans, we'd like to, to really connect to them there before um, and say, Hey, you know, we, if you're not going off to school, you're not going to military, um, there may be opportunities here to connect you to training 
and um, you know a, a good career, making a livable wage, um, and put that out there because I feel like the awareness isn't there in the school system as as we would like it to be. Um, yes, we're we're making some inroads into to school districts and CT CTCs, um, but we're not as visible um, as we would like to be with the students and the parents. So catching them before they leave, um, before they're graduating, would be one way. Um, I think the social media and the and the marketing of, of apprenticeship um, on social media is a, is an area where um, we we haven't quite. Uh, hit the mark, and I would say that's a national issue, not just in Pennsylvania. But uh, we all know that um, mostly, not just the youth, but everybody's on their phone. Um, if we could find some way to do a lot of this, the, the marketing and, and getting the word out about the good things apprenticeship can do to a person's life, um, we feel as though that would be a way um, to connect more people to to apprenticeship and pre-apprenticeship opportunities. Some of the investments as a state that we've made with uh, um, some of our funding that we've um, invested in apprenticeship um, is to develop diversity. And some of the, the funds require a, a diversity element requiring so many um, apprentices or pre-apprentices be from uh, a, a diverse background. That's kind of the way that we're doing it. Um, we believe that our grant opportunities, if that's the goal that we're trying to reach, um, I think for Pennsylvania, the numbers of, of, of registered apprenticeship for minorities is around 12%. Female numbers are around 7%. So if we want to see those numbers go up, we want to make our investments in, in, in registered apprenticeship focused uh, on delivering that outcome for us. Connecting to people uh, before they get out of, of, of high school, um, marketing on social media, and then also our state investments, making sure that, that we are requiring diversity um, within the, the sponsors that, that or the grantees that receive our funding. Yeah, I think that all of those things are very important. So you mentioned two things. You mentioned about catching the individual kind of as soon as they graduate, which I, I think is really so key, you know, catching them before they kind of get uh, lost in uh, life, really. And so we know that youth under WIOA is 16 to 24 year olds by definition. And, you know, from my experience, you kind of have two groups within those 16 to 24 year olds. You kind of got your 16 and 19 year olds, which they may be recently um, dropped out of high school or they may be recently graduated and not, they don't have a job. They don't, they're not going to college. But then you also have that 20 to 24 year old group that They've been out of high school a couple of years and they're kind of disconnected from any uh, system of education or system of workforce. And I think you have challenges, you know, reaching out to both groups, particularly that 20 to 24 year old group. And so what do you think is the best way to reach those 20 to 24 year olds who they've kind of they're not connected to to any uh, workforce system or education system? That's a good question. Within that group or that 19 to 20 to 24 age group is are individuals who have gone to college and potentially have not completed. So we're trying to reach those individuals as well. Again, I think it's the, the awareness of, of opportunities that are there. Um, I feel as though, you know, even myself, I didn't learn about workforce development until a few years ago uh, relative to my career. 
I still think that workforce development as a career or, or some of the opportunities associated with it are really um, underserved in terms of the marketing of it. So we got to really start investing in the marketing and, and the promotion of it, of apprenticeship. But it starts at a local level. I mean, we need to have the, the people um, it, it, with the local workforce development agencies, the intermediaries, all those individuals that are that are part of that workforce development system um, on a local level. We could help them out by investing in and, and really getting uh, educational materials out to them to as people come in, these, these people who are looking for jobs, these young folks, presenting these as options for them, you know, as they come in to say like, hey, you're looking for an opportunity to better yourself, get some training, but also earning some dollars to learn and learn, and earn opportunity is here in apprenticeship for, for some of these employers. So uh, I think that's the, my, would be part of my strategy to have how to really connect with that, that age group. Well, the out-of-school youth population is definitely a population opportunity youth. There is a definitely a great amount of opportunity with that uh, population of individuals. Uh, they are the ones who um, obviously present the greatest opportunity. That's why they're called opportunity youth in terms of the skills and traits that they have that are unique to their generation. But Eric, I, I just want to thank you for your time, taking out time to do this podcast uh, with me today. You had some very insightful answers. And is there anything that you want to add before we, before we go? I would say as a agency, keeping the the people first and start thinking of ways where we can be on the cutting edge of innovation and, and ways to help people, help employers to make these connections, um, networking and, and really building up the ability for people on the local level to develop apprenticeship programs is key to growth. So there's a lot of things that go into to building what I call an apprenticeship ecosystem. But just be open to ideas. Great ideas can come from anywhere. Just keep the innovation at the front of this and, and, and helping the people with their needs. And uh, we'll do a good job building apprenticeship programs across the country. Well, thank you for your time, Eric. And that is all that I have for you all today. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of JFF's Apprenticeship by the State with me, your host, Joseph Hollins. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and we look forward to you coming back to hear more of the innovative things that apprenticeship directors from across the country are doing. We're signing off. 